And I'm reading from the message. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Whenever they turned to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are, face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of His face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. And into chapter 4 and verse 3. If our message is obscure to anyone... It's not because we're holding back in any way. No, it's because these other people are looking or going the wrong way and refuse to give it serious attention. All they have eyes for is the fashionable God of darkness. They think he can give them what they want and that they won't have to bother believing a truth they cannot see. They're stone blind to the day spring brightness of the message that shines with Christ who gives us the best picture of God we'll ever get. Remember, our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ, the master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. It started when God said, light up the darkness And our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask that you would enable us to receive, to hear, to ponder your word, and that your spirit would drive your word deep into our spirits and give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a great big number up on the screen right there. That's three and a half billion for those of you that haven't used big numbers lately. And three and a half billion is the number of images that have been posted on Snapchat in the last 24 hours. Three and a half billion. And 75% of those Photographs that have been posted on Snapchat in the last 24 hours were selfies. That means 2,625,000,000 selfies have been uploaded just to Snapchat. That's only one social media platform just in the last 24 hours. Now, to give you, that's a, a big number and Once you get beyond certain numbers, people lose the point of reference a little bit and it's just zeros and they're like, well, so what? Well, if if all of those photographs were printed out as a six by four, for those of you that are under 30, this is a six by four, (laughs) six inch by four inch photograph back in the days that we used to actually get them printed. If all of those photographs, all of those, and remember, those are all selfies. If all of those selfies were printed out 
this size and set side by side, the line of photographs would reach from here to the moon. I kid you not. Imagine that. How many pictures we generate of ourselves on a daily basis on planet Earth. Selfies are big business. Selfies are an obsession for us. More people die taking selfies each year than die from shark attacks. And extreme selfies are, are, a, are a big thing now. People climb to the top of the tallest buildings they can find without harnesses or safety and they take photographs of themselves while they're up there. To help you out with your selfie, you've got devices such as this. I don't know, Scott, if you have one of these. This is called Lily. And Lily is a selfie drone. Now, Lily costs $1,000. And if you have Lily and you have a little wristband, which is also there for you to look at, probably still time to get one before next week if you're really, if you're really after it. What will happen is Lily the drone will follow you around and take photographs of you. And make videos of you as you go about your daily business. Now originally designed for people who are maybe whitewater canoeing or skiing or snowboarding. This thing would go after them and make videos of them. But can also be used to, to just take pictures of you while you're doing the ironing or whatever else may be going on. We are living in an age of absolute self-obsession. We are gazing at our own faces all the time. And we are having the faces of others pushed into our faces all the time. People who are obsessed with their own face. And we are then constantly being asked to look into their faces. In 18 years of working with teenagers, I have never seen them as despairing and as anxious and as lacking in hope for the future as I see them now. This obsession with looking at ourselves has not created a stable, strong generation. And as we stare into our own faces, where does it get us? A story is told of this guy who's called Narcissus. Not a true story, it's from Greek mythology. And Narcissus was a hunter who was renowned for his beauty and his love of everything beautiful. And one day he was followed through the forest by a female called Echo who had fallen in love with him. And whenever she caught up with Narcissus and tried to embrace him, he rebuked her and he told her to leave him alone. And what happened then was the goddess of revenge, who's called Nemesis, decided to punish Narcissus for his harshness towards Echo. And she lured him to a pool where he could drink. But as he drank from the pool, and he's pictured there looking down into the pool, as he drank from the pool, something strange happened. And he became entranced by the most beautiful thing he had ever seen. His own reflection in the water. Let me read from one version of the story by a guy called Ted Hughes. I want you to just, as I read this, imagine a culture that is obsessed with staring into their own faces. 
looking for hope in themselves, looking for light in themselves. Weary with hunting and the hot sun, Narcissus found this pool. Gratefully, he stretched out full length to cup his hands in the clear cold and to drink. But as he drank a strange new thirst, a craving unfamiliar entered his body with the water and entered his eyes with the reflection in the limpid mirror. He could not believe the beauty of those eyes that gazed into his own. As the taste of water flooded him, so did love. So he lay mistaking that picture of himself on the meniscus for the stranger who could make him happy. He lay like a fallen garden statue, gaze fixed on his image in the water, comparing it to Bacchus or Apollo, falling deeper and deeper in love with what so many had loved so hopelessly. Not recognizing himself, he wanted only himself. He had chosen from all the faces he had ever seen, only his own face. He was himself the torturer who now began his torture. He plunged his arms deep to embrace the one who vanished in agitated water. Again and again he kissed the lips that seemed to be rising to kiss his, but dissolved as he touched them into a soft splash and a shiver of ripples. How could he clasp and caress his own reflection? Why can't I reach him? Why can't he reach me? In that very touch of the kiss, we vanish from each other. He vanishes into the skin of water. Who are you? Come out. Come up onto the land. I never saw beauty to compare with yours. Oh, why do you always dodge away at the last moment and leave me with my arms full of nothing but water and the memory of an image? And as the story goes on, Narcissus, so frustrated by the fact that he cannot find hope and life and love in his own image, in his own reflection, he kills himself. And although it's not a biblical story and it's not a historical fact, this myth proves an important point. Love of self destroys those around us and ultimately destroys ourselves. And still today we have a thing called narcissism which is defined in the dictionary as a fixation with oneself and one's physical appearance or public perception. People who are obsessed with what other people think of them. These folks who take their selfies and maybe take 30, 40, 50 and look through them all and then put them up and then check every five minutes to see how the likes are going and if the likes aren't going well, they take them down again. It's just an example. Don't go out of there thinking selfies are of the devil. They're not. But they are reflective of a culture that thinks by gazing into our own faces, we can find life and we can find joy. Narcissists are obsessed with themselves and think everything they need can be got from themselves. Writing in the 1970s, About this phenomenon of of narcissism, a guy called Christopher Lash said that a lot of these pictures are, are, are cheered on and championed. Look at that person. Look at their confidence. Look at how brave they are. Look at how much life they're getting from from putting out this image of themselves. 
But this guy observed 50 years ago before this phenomenon, writing almost prophetically, he said, far from being confident and life-giving, this obsession is fragile and shallow and ultimately self-destructive, leaving us constantly in need of reaffirmation and reassurance that we are the greatest thing in the universe. But satisfaction is always out of reach, and like narcissists, we're left with arms full of nothing and only the memory of an image. Is there another face that we can look at? If we're sick of looking at our own faces, or the faces of others who think we should look at their faces. Paul the Apostle invites us at Christmas and every day to look at another face. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God said, light up the darkness. And our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God where. In the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. There is a face to gaze into. There is a face, there is not just a selfie, but God himself came at Christmas in the incarnation. He came and he invited us, look at me, look at me. He's the only person in all of history or in all of the future who can say, look at me and find life and find hope and find light in the darkness. The writer of the, of the Hebrews says, Jesus is the exact representation of God. And in Greek, that word representation is the word character. Have you ever noticed, you know, a text message or a tweet or something, and there's a character limit? Characters means letters. And where that comes from is from uh, stamping metal with a letter. You get a, get a little stamp and you, you hit it against a piece of soft metal, and the, the, the impression of the letter is left in the metal. That stamp is called character in Greek. And it leaves a perfect image on the metal. And whenever the writer of the Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact representation or the exact image of God, he is stamped perfectly with God's character and likeness. And if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. He is the perfect representation of God. One of my favorite writers and teachers and speakers is, is Rick Watts, and you've heard me quote him a lot, and he, he posted on Facebook a few years ago on Christmas Eve. He said, Christmas Eve is an amazing time. We no longer need to guess what God is like. Jesus has come, and he has shown us what God is like, and the invitation of Christmas is to take this gift that God has given of himself and gaze into the face of it. Do you want to know what God is like? Stop projecting onto God the image of what you would like him to be like. You want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. God is like someone who is happy to be born in a stable among common people. God is like someone who shows up at a wedding party and turns water into wine. So that the party can go on. 
God is like someone who goes into a religious place and drives out those who are taking advantage of his people. Because that religious place is not safe. God is like someone who sits at a well with a prostitute in broad daylight and offers her living water and is not ashamed to be with her, to speak with her and to give her life. God is like someone who sees a widow grieving at a funeral and raises her dead son to life. God is like someone who feeds a hungry multitude and there's an abundance of leftovers. God is like someone who eats at tables with the people that nobody else will eat with. God is like someone who gives women and children dignity and value in a culture that did not value them or give them dignity. God is like someone who stares into the eye of humanity's greatest enemy, death, allows it to take him, and then walks out the other side and declares, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? In other words, is that all you've got? That's what God is like. And when we gaze into the face and the character of Jesus, we see the perfect representation of God. Jesus said in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not only do we see what God is like, but as we gaze upon him, we are transformed by him. You will become, here's a simple biblical principle, you will become like the thing that you worship. In the Old Testament, God speaks of his people having a heart of stone, cold and dead, because they worship stone idols, cold and dead. You will become like what you worship. The invitation of Christmas is to gaze upon the face of Jesus. And what Paul says happens when we do that is that we are transfigured, transformed, much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. If church is not a familiar place for you to be and you have an idea that you have to reach a certain standard or do certain things or put certain things right in order to be part of the people of God and to know Jesus, that is a lie. As you gaze upon his face, he transforms you. It's a beautiful thing. And I see faces all over the room that over the last 12 months have been transformed have been changed, have become more and more like him upon whom they gaze. He transforms. He brings light. In Hebrew, the word for face, the word for face, we're talking about gazing upon his face, is the same as the word for presence. For presence. When we gaze upon the face of God, upon the face of Jesus, his presence is with us. His presence transforms us. Our problem is that we love to gaze at our own faces. And we love to gaze at the faces of others whose lives are fake. Who've captured a moment when the light is just right and the makeup is just right and they've put on just the right filter and they say, Look at me. And there's no life in it. 
There is a face that can lighten the darkness of this world of self-obsession, but it is not the face in the selfie. It is the glory of God in the face of Christ. God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. Will you quieten your hearts? In the madness of this most selfish times of year. (laughs) Will you quieten your heart. And gaze upon the only one who can bring light into your life. The only one who can truly represent to you what God is like. Because as you gaze at him, the veil is lifted. And there's nothing between you and God. And it's beautiful. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the amazing gift of Jesus. Thank you that we don't have to guess what you're like. Thank you that we don't have to piece together verses here and there to try and get an idea of your character, Lord. We just open up and gaze at Jesus and we see you. I pray, Father, for every single one of us, Lord, that we will gaze continually at your face. That we will stop thinking that our own faces hold anything for us that is life-giving. That we will stop thinking that the faces of others give us hope. But that we will gaze into the only face that is worth gazing at. And like those little children that we hear laughing in the background, Lord, when they stare at the face of their mummy or daddy and their mummy or daddy smiles at them and they just spontaneously break into a grin, they reflect what they're looking at. Lord, may we reflect your glory. May we reflect your character in this world. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for this family of God in this place. May your blessing rest upon us in Jesus' name. Amen.